Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Have your Bibles go with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to continue this series, The Big 12. And today I'm calling this The Quiet Ones. I don't know if that's up there. No, it's not. But you got it. The Quiet Ones. We're going to talk about James the Less, Jude, and James the Great. Now, I'm going to go ahead and prepare you. You're going to get gypped on Jude. <laughs> okay? And the reason for that, I've got a lot of content, but the reason for that is, as early as this morning as I was praying, I felt like the Lord really wanted me to concentrate my efforts today on the two Jameses. And as, as the, the day has unfolded and I've gotten here and, and just felt the presence of the Lord, I have really felt like God is going to do something at the end of our service. And so I want to pray for some people today. We talked about laying hands on people. I want to pray for some people today. Specific prayers that I want to pray for people, uh, or specific people, I might say, that I want to pray for. Is that okay? So y'all don't mind if we kind of condense this down a little bit? Is that okay? So, so we're going to do that and, and just uh, believe God for what he wants to do in the rest of the service. We'll get to James 1 in a moment, but um, I'm calling this, again, the quiet ones. These guys were quiet. Uh, they did not say a lot. I want to start like this. Did you know words have value? Words have value. The Lord gave it to me like this. Words are like inflation. Y'all know that there's a lot of inflation going on in our economy right now, okay? Words have value. It's like inflation. The more you flood the market, you lower the value of each cent. You can do that with words, too. The more you flood the atmosphere with words, you actually lower the value of words. You can flood the environment with opinions and thoughts and ideas, and you can actually make people quiet or quit. I'm hung up on quiet. But you can make people quit listening to you, and they start turning down the volume of your words. Did you know this happens in marriage? In your marriage, one of you is more vocal than the, the other one. Don't look at your neighbor. I saw one guy go, Jason Phillips. Um, oh, I didn't mean to say his name. I'm sorry. Anyway, I love you, Jason. So we do this in marriage. One of you is going to be more vocal than the other one. Okay, and what happens with that is, and that's fine. It's okay. That's who you are, and that's your personality. But you can flood the, flood the atmosphere with your words and the other partner will actually turn down the volume because you talk all the time. Okay? Did you know this happens with raising kids? Okay? You do this with kids. Man, we just got started and this thing's getting heavy. Y'all are like, whoa! I didn't even know it was that heavy, but I guess it is. So you do this with raising kids. If you're constantly talking and not sh putting action behind what you're saying, your kids turn you off. That's why you, you, in discipline, you do it one or two times, this or this, and then it's this. 
It's great. Okay, so anyway, I don't know how I got off on this, man. Y'all are rowdy today. So anyway, you can do that. How many of you know this is what's happening in our culture with social media? Okay, They're fl- we're flooded with words. We look at social media for hours upon hours, and there's so much, so much um, verbiage out there and content out there that what happens is you will actually turn down the things you should really be listening to. Okay? And so when you're confronted with truth, you won't even recognize the truth because you're so inundated with words. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's something to being quiet. Everybody say being quiet. There is something to learn from quietude. Okay. Listen to Proverbs 10, 19. Let's just throw that up there. Don't turn there, but let's throw it up here. When there are many words, transgressions and offenses are unavoidable. But he who controls his lips and keeps his thoughtful silence is what? Is wise. So my prayer for this message is that you, you would value words a little better, and yet you would not throw words around so much. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. So we need to do more thinking about what we're saying than just saying it. Okay, so when we say something, it actually has weight to it. Okay, that is the goal right there. Um, Also in this message, I want you to see how Jesus valued those that were quiet. He valued them. Write this down. Quietude is sacred. Quietude is sacred. And here's what I've learned. If you're always talking, you're not listening. Okay, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should do twice as much listening as you do talking. Do you know conversation is two ways? It's not just you talking, it's you listening to the other person you're having conversation with. Is that right? So we were at this wedding this weekend. I wasn't in the room. I was, I was um, doing the rehearsal on Friday night. <laughs> and my mom and Alicia were sitting at this table, and this lady comes over. And sits down. They didn't know her from anybody, you know. She just sit down, and she just starts talking. And so she would ask them questions. And of course, they were they were giggling about this on their way home or back to the hotel. And they were like, "This lady come down, and she was a trip. Like she just started talking, and she said she'd ask us questions, but she'd never give us time to answer it. <laughs> she'd just keep talking. And she said her name is this, her husband's name is this, her daughter's name is this, and she has a friend that lives in the Bahamas. And I'm like, dear Lord, how did, what did Hello, you know, what all did y'all learn? She said, we learned all kinds of stuff about this lady. Well, did y'all talk? No. <laughs> did you know some people just like to talk to hear themselves talk? You ever run anybody like that? They just talk all the time. And the problem is you're not listening. You'll learn something about Pastor Jay. I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. I, for the most part, I'm quiet. The, the fact that I'm doing this is amazing. You, don't even, you think it's just natural for me to do this. If you knew me and knew how I was raised, you would know this is very unnatural for me to stand here and do this. See, God picks the foolish things to confound the wise. So he takes people, the most unlikely people, to do something like this, and that's the people he picks, not the boisterous, loud people. He's going to pick the most quietest person, the most timid person, which was who I was, to do something like this. But you're going to learn this about me. My wife will tell you this about me. If I'm talking and I'm not being heard, I quit talking. 
if I'm not being heard, I'm not going to talk. So a conversation is two ways. Everybody say two ways. I'm talking and I'm listening. Everybody say talking and listening. So today, uh, with these three guys I want to talk about, um, they didn't talk a lot at all. Neither of these three guys. That's why they're called the quiet ones. But two of them talked with the books they wrote in the Bible. And one of them spoke, all of them spoke with their life, but one of them especially spoke with his life, the life that he lived. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so I want to start with James the Less. James the Less. And we'll get to James 1 in just a moment. James the Less is son of Alphaeus. He's also, in Greek, Cleopas. The reason we call him James the Less is because he's the youngest of the two James. Okay, so he's the younger one. He's also the author of the book of James that we're about to read here in just a moment. The book of James is also known as Discipleship for Dummies. <clears throat> that was funny. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> James is known for the Discipleship for Dummies. It's five easy chapters. So take your notebooks and here's your assignment for the week. I want you to read the book of James. It's five chapters, five powerful chapters from a very quiet guy. But how many of you know when quiet people say something, you ought to listen? Because they're saying something. Okay? So there's five chapters in the book of James. Everybody say five chapters. And I want you to read the book of James. Now, let's get into this. James is no nonsense. Okay? He is no nonsense kind of guy. Um, there's some debate. <clears throat> He is either Jesus' brother or he's Jesus' cousin. Okay, there's two arguments out there. I don't think this is heaven or hell stuff, so I'm not, I don't really care which one you believe. And you say, well, which, what do you believe, Pastor? I don't really know, and I don't know that I care. <laughs> okay, he's either Jesus' brother or he's Jesus' cousin. <clears throat> now, I would say from what I read... If he is his cousin, he is like a first cousin, okay? When you look, in this and you look at this and you study it in the Greek, brother means close family. Close family. The argument for him being Jesus' cousin is that, and this is a strong debate that I read, this is where they get their evidence for that. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looked down at John and he said, John, behold thy mother, and mother, behold thy son. In other words, he was saying to John the Beloved, I want you to take care of my mom when I'm gone, and I want you to treat her like she's your mother. The argument for this is, is that if Jesus had a brother, the next brother in line, Jesus would have been the oldest, the next brother would have assumed that position to take care of mom. And because he gave that to John, they believed there was no brother. They believe Jesus had only sisters. I don't know if that's true. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but he's either Jesus' brother or he's his cousin, okay? James chapter 1 <clears throat> is where I want to read, and this is James's book, and I want to start reading in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives, gives selfishly or stingily. Is that right? Does he give how? Is he stingy? No, he's generous to all. Everybody say all. Without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not what? Because the one who, what? Doubts is like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now watch this. Such a person is double-minded, and they're unstable in all they do. Hold your place in James. We're not done, okay? Hold your place. We'll go back in just a moment. Does this illustrate how James is no nonsense? Can y'all see that in him? I mean, he just jumps in. He basically says, hi, I'm James, and I want you to be happy in every trial. In fact, I don't care. I, I, don't, I don't ever, uh, in fact, don't ever pray your way out of the trial because the trial will produce in you endurance that you're going to need and if it isn't this storm, it'll be another storm. And just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. I'm just paraphrasing what we just read. It could mean you've done something right. And if you need wisdom in your trial, ask God and he will give it to you. But when you ask, don't ask for directions to a place that you're not intending on going. Okay? If your plans are to complain all the way through the storm, then asking for wisdom is counterintuitive. What he's saying is, don't pray to be rescued out of something and then turn around and ask for wisdom at the same time. That's double-mindedness. So James is saying, I mean, he just starts off, bam, I'm James, don't be double-minded. You're unstable when you're double-minded. In other words, don't be praying for one thing and yet you're doing something else. Does that make sense? Now look at verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, what's that word? Quick to what? Slow to? And slow to become? Slow to become angry. Everybody say angry. Watch this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Is that right? Now this seems exactly what you would think a quiet disciple would say. Right? Y'all think so? Now look at verses 22 through 26. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Everybody say do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at, a, at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hmm. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, and how many know to hear you've got to quit talking, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's finish with this one. 
Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their woo, tongues, what do they do to themselves? And their religion, what did we talk about last week? Your religion is repetition. Your religion is worthless. In other words, you're coming to church and you're taking communion and you're doing all these declarations and you're doing all these things. It's all worthless. That's what he's saying. If you're not going to do what the Word says, if you're just saying it but you're not doing it, does that make sense? Do y'all see that quiet people have things to say? But most people would never know because they never take the time to listen to quiet people. Does that make sense? Listen and do what you hear is what James is saying and then follow through with it. You can call yourself a disciple, but if you can't control your tongue, then everything you say is worthless. Do you see why I like the book of James? It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is no nonsense. It's to the point, and I love it. So that's the book of James, and that's a little bit of the story of James the Less. Now, I told you I'm, I'm jumping ahead because I've got things to do. Now I want to look at Jude, and I want to go real quick on Jude here, okay? Jude, if you're taking notes, means Judah in Hebrew and Judas in Greek. Not Judas Iscariot, different, different guy. This Jude is also called Thaddeus in Scripture. So if you see that, that's talking about Jude. He is the brother of James the Less, so that would make him Jesus' brother or cousin. Okay, same thing. And he was the writer of the epistle Jude. Can anybody in here tell me where the book of Jude is? Is it Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. That was a pretty easy one. Can anybody tell me where it is positioned in the New Testament? Or Revelation. Okay, it's the second to the last book in your Bible. If you want to accomplish something and say you read an entire book of the Bible, Jude is a great place to go. How many chapters is Jude? One chapter. You ought to read it. He's a no-nonsense guy, too. He's a quiet one, but he jumps to the point, and man, he rips sin a new one in his book. I mean, he rips sin. He talks about sin in his book, and so you ought to read that book. Now let's, look, let's jump. I told you he's getting jipped. Let's look at James the Great. Everybody say James the Great. Here's where I want to really focus right here, okay, because I want to minister to some folks here in a moment. James is called James the Great because he's the older of the two James. Okay, so we did James the Younger a moment ago. Now we're doing James the Older, so less and greater is what they called them in the Bible. James the Great is the son of Zebedee, and he is the brother of John the Beloved. So John in the Bible, uh, John the Revelator in Revelation, that's this John. That is his brother, okay? James the Great is John's brother. And he is an inner circle disciple with Peter and John. We know a lot about Peter, and we know a lot about John, but James is the quiet one, but he's still a part of the inner circle. James witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. He witnessed that, and the other disciples did not witness that. 
He also saw the transfiguration on the mountain, and he saw Elijah and Moses having conversation with Jesus. He also witnessed Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he was an inner circle guy. There was three guys, Peter, James, and John. They were the closest to Jesus. Okay, So they saw things the other disciples did not get to witness. So he's a part of a group of three, but he's also a part of a group of two because he and John, his brother, asked if they could sit one at his right side and one at his left side in heaven. Okay, Then he is a group of one because he is the first disciple, apostle of the twelve martyred. Every disciple, all 12 of these guys, with the exception of John, were martyred. Every one of them gave their life for the cause of the gospel. Now, if all of this was a hoax, and Jesus was just a prophet, and he was just a good man, and all of this is made-up stories, then tell me this, why would 12 men give their life for a made-up story? I wouldn't do that. If I knew I was lying and I made it up, I would not give my life for it. These men were all martyred with the exception of John the Beloved, and they tried to martyr him. They put him in a pot of boiling oil and tried to kill him, and he didn't burn. He didn't die. So all of these men gave their life for the cause of Christ. James the Great was the first one to die. He was the first one that gave his life for the gospel. He was beheaded by King Herod Agrippa I, and his death is the only death recorded of an apostle in the New Testament. It's the only death of the apostles that you will see recorded in the Bible. The rest of this we get from history. Okay? His death is recorded in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, is where you will find uh, his martyr. The only time James the Great is mentioned by himself is at his death. So if he is in Jesus' inner circle, what attributes did he have for Jesus to call him a disciple? What did he prize? What did Jesus see in this quiet man? He wasn't a man of a lot of of words. He isn't a man that takes a lot of action that is notable. So what was the clue to why Jesus picked him? What was it about James the Great that made Jesus pick him and for him to be an inner circle disciple. Well, I pondered that for a long time. I prayed about that. I sought the Holy Spirit about that. I read about that. I tried to find all the reasons of why James the Great was an inner circle guy. And here's what I found. I think the clue to why James the Great is one of the inner circle guys, I think the clue that I found and the Holy Spirit gave me was his nickname. His nickname I believe, is the clue to why he is an inner circle guy. His nickname is found in Mark 3, verse 17. He and his brother both, who's his brother? John. John the Beloved is this James's brother, okay? So him and his brother John, in Mark 3, verse 17, they're given the name Boandrages. I, I don't know how to say that, but that's my interpretation. And it means sons of thunder. Everybody say sons of thunder. Are fiery preacher. Fiery preacher. 
The problem with that is, and here's what I found, the problem with that is the lack of evidence that supports this. There is no evidence that we ever see James or John being fiery preachers. In fact, history tells us they were not fiery at all. In fact, history tells us they were very soft-spoken, both of them. They both were very quiet. So, was Jesus calling them loud when they really were quiet? Is this sarcasm? Maybe. Some believe he called them this because they suggested fire as a punishment to a Samaritan village that rejected hosting Jesus in Luke chapter 9. But according to Scripture, Jesus rebuked both John and James the Great. Jesus, how many of you know this? Jesus never sugarcoated anything with his disciples. If they were wrong, he called them out on it. Why? He was teaching them. Does that make sense? So if I was rebuked by Jesus, I don't think that is something I would want to be nicknamed after. Would y'all? And Scripture doesn't support this. In Scripture, Jesus never named anyone after their mistakes. He always called them by the greatness he called out of them. Does that make sense? If you look at this Sons of Thunder and you study it in the Greek, it is a product of the storm, not the source of the storm. Notice it's not father of thunder. That would fit fiery preacher. No. The emphasis of the meaning in Greek is the product of, not the producer of a storm. They are the product of a storm, not the producers of a storm. To me, this means Jesus named them for something that he saw in them. There was something about their character that spoke loud and clear. And here's all I could come up with. Both of these men were fishermen. Both of them. Could it be that Jesus saw them out on the water and they were fearless in the face of lightning and thunder? This would get you the nickname Sons of Thunder. Like they're out there in a storm, it's lightning and it's thundering and the wind is blowing and yet they are still committed to their mission of pulling up their nets and catching fish. In the face of a, of a thunderstorm. Could this be why Jesus called them sons of thunder, meaning the storm doesn't scare you off and derail your purpose? Oh man, I'm feeling preach come over me right now. Wow. Can we just talk about storms for a moment? I want to talk about storms. By the way, did y'all know that, that El Dorado is now the new Seattle, Washington? It rains every day. I mean, it's just crazy. This weather, I'm, 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 maybe I'm wrong, maybe I don't remember, but I'm, you know, 48 years old, and I don't know that I've ever seen a summer like this before. Like the thunder and the lightning and the rain and all of the things that we're seeing. I mean, the, the world is crazy right now. Like, things are crazy. And, and so we're seeing these storms. And so I want to talk just a moment about storms, and I want to minister right here, because I'm fixing to minister to some folks, and I'm going to pray for you. But I want to talk about the storm. Does the storm scare you off and derail you? Does the storm scare you off and derail you? How many of you know there are spiritual storms? There are storms that come along to derail us. Storms that come along to move us off of our purpose. Doesn't matter how much the wind blows, you have to stay the course. Everybody say, stay the course. 
These men were not only moved, unmoved by the storm, but they were made stronger by the storm. I got to say that again. They were not unmoved by the storm. They actually become stronger because of the storm. Okay, so let's just do this. This week, I'm going to tell you something the Lord showed me this week, and I want to minister right here. I was, we were at the beach, and it was, every day it would come a little storm there as well, and then the sun would come out, so it was not all bad. But we were sitting there, the storm had come up. Man, this black cloud, it was just unbelievable. And, and here it was coming. You could see it coming from a long way. And then, man, I mean, the bottom fell out. And it was lightning and thundering and the wind was blowing. And so when we went back into the house that we had rented, uh, I come in. Well, you know, I grabbed my Bible and stuff. I said, I'm fixing to go in here in the bedroom, and I'm just going to pray and study for a little bit. And I go into the bedroom, and I'm sitting on this bed. And this is the scene. To my right, there's this big window. And the wind is just hitting in that window, and the rain, it's just blowing the rain in all kinds of directions. So this is the setting. I've got a big storm. I'm, this is crazy. I'm talking about the sons of thunder, thinking about the sons of thunder, and it's thundering. I mean a storm, a massive storm. So you have this wind just, bam, just hitting these windows. I thought the windows were coming out. I think it was just hitting it so hard. And then in front of me, I'm staring at this wall as I'm just meditating on Scripture And I'm looking at this wall, and there's a picture of two sailboats in this big picture. And the Lord dropped in my spirit at that moment. And this was where I've never done this, never said said these words in my life. But this come out of my mouth in my spirit. Contrary wind. Contrary wind. And I said, Lord, what in the world? What are you trying to say? And the more I focused on this picture, now I'm not a sailor, But I thought to myself, what does a sailboat do when the wind is opposing them and they're yet needing to go in the direction of the wind? How does a sailboat, how does a sailboat get to their destination when the wind is blowing them in the opposite direction? So I started researching. And here's what I found. It's the same principle as holding a watermelon seed between your fingers. Have you ever done this? When you were a kid, what what am I talking about, kids? You do it when you're adults. You take a watermelon seed and you hold it between your fingers. And what happens when you put pressure on both sides? It launches forward, right? That's the same picture here with the sailboat. What they do, what a sailor does when the wind, the contrary wind, the opposing wind is blowing, they take the wind, they take their sails, and they take the wind... And they divert the wind to the sides of the vessel. And when they do, it applies pressure to both sides of the vessel, and it pushes it forward. It launches it forward. So in other words, they're taking the wind, they're taking the storm, and they're using the storm as a launching pad to push them forward. (laughs) I want to preach right here. Are y'all following me? So I'm taking the contrary wind. Everybody say the contrary wind. And I'm using it. Come on, say that. I'm using it to catapult me forward. Well, three people said it. The rest of y'all can go home. We're going to preach to these three, okay? Everybody say catapulting me forward. So you're going into the wind that should be pushing you away. 
See, the storms that I've placed or, or, or experienced in my life, the storms that I've experienced, I thought that they were actually blowing me away from my destiny and purpose. But what I didn't realize is they were actually blowing me to my destiny and purpose. The wind of resistance was actually catapulting me closer to my purpose. And am I in the right church? So James is saying, like James the less, it is double-minded for you to lick your finger and see which way the wind is blowing. When you ask God for something, don't look at where the wind is coming from. That should, that should have no bearing whatsoever on whether or not you're called just because there's a storm blowing against you. So what do you do? You set your sail to capture the wind that is actually coming against you. Then whatever the enemy sends against you, and he will, everybody say he will, the contrary wind will actually get you to the place of your calling and your destiny. Amen, church. When the wind or storm hits your life, do you stand like the sons of thunder in the face of lightning and say, do what you will. I know that I'm called and I will not be moved by this storm. Watch these words. I may be shaped by the wind, but I will not be stopped by the wind. Everybody say shaped, but not stopped. Listen to me. Listen to your pastor. Let me pastor you for a moment. There will always be contrary winds. There will always be contrary winds in your life. Now, I thought about it like this, and I'm, I'm going to close. In fact, I need to close. Let's, let's do this. I want to pray for people. Pastor D, if you would come. I want to close like this as he plays. Good grief, I feel the Lord. Mm. Come on, let's praise him right now. Father, we praise you. Guys, God's doing I don't know. There's something going on here. Father, we praise you. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Lord, somebody in this room is in a storm. Somebody in this room is in a storm. God, you've interrupted this to minister to somebody today. God, we experience storms. I think multiple people in this room are experiencing storms in your life. And there's contrary winds that are coming against you. And you think they're blowing you away from your purpose. And God is telling you today through this preacher, they're actually taking you to your purpose. Hallelujah. I love it when you speak, Lord. I love it when you interrupt me and you speak. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to me this morning. There will always be contrary winds. There will always be people that are part of that storm and they'll tell you, you can't do it. There will always be naysayers. There will always be talk. That's contrary wind. I thought about this the other day. The Lord spoke this to my spirit. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be um, harsh. 
but I'm a prophetic preacher, so sometimes I say things and it may come out harsh, but that's my gift. I'm, a, I'm prophetic like that. But the Lord said this to me, and I, it wrecked me. But he said, Jason, if we can't handle a head cold, if a head cold stops us from going to church and stops us from serving and stops us from our purpose, how are we going to handle cancer if we can't an handle a head cold? How are we going to handle the contrary winds when we're so soft? Think about it. If, if we can't handle criticism, if we can't handle people speaking against us, how can we ever handle the destiny and purpose and calling that God has on our life if we can't handle a little criticism, if we can't handle people talking about us? Amen? Listen to me. How are we going to stand in heaven? How are we going to stand in front of these 12 men that every one of them were martyred and gave their life and suffered greatly for the cause of Christ? How are we going to stand in front of these men in heaven and they come up to us and say, tell us about what happened with you? And we go, it was awful. I had to get up at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning and I had to go to an air-conditioned building. Can you believe that, James the Great? We went to an air-conditioned building and had church. And do you know he made us stay there an hour and a half? That pastor did. He didn't even let us out at 12. Can you believe that? Can you believe that he preached so hard to us? How are we going to stand in front of these 12 men who suffered and gave their life for the cause of Christ? And we stand there and they say, hey, what did you endure? Uh, I had to wear a mask. And I couldn't go to church for a couple months and we couldn't go to the, my favorite restaurant. We couldn't even go on vacation. Can you believe that, John the Beloved? Let that settle. This is another thing that came to me. The temptation is to stay home under the comforter. Pull the comforter up over my head. How are we going to be a comforter when we got, we're under a comforter? Amen. We're at home under the comforter because we can't handle things. How are we supposed to be a comforter? How are we supposed to comfort other people when we're running for our lives and we're scared to death or we're mad or we're soiled up? Am I preaching okay? Come on. How are we going to be a comforter when we're under a comforter? And I love you. I'm talking to me as much as I, I am just as spoiled as you are. Guys, American, the American church is spoiled. When I, the more I've studied about these men and what they did, we are, so, we are spoiled brats. Spoiled brats compared to what these men accomplished and what they had to endure. And these men are the reason we're sitting here today. Why are we studying the Big 12? Because, because of them we're sitting right here. Can I hear an amen? So my message is this. Use whatever contrary wind that's blowing against you as fuel. Use it as fuel, not to stop you, but to propel you. And whatever the devil is telling you, Whatever the devil is telling you to stop, 
listen, there's a cue right there. Your ears ought to perk up. When the devil tells you to stop this, you ought to listen to whatever this is that he's telling you to stop. Because whatever he's telling you to stop is the thing that you need to do ten times more. So when the devil tells me to stop, I'm going to do it all the more. And I'm going to put my foot on his neck and I'm going to say, stop me if you can. But I'm moving forward in the name of Jesus. Amen. This wind, it may shake me, but it will not stop me. Amen. This wind may shake me, but it will not stop me. I'm going to tell you something about the devil. Did you know he was defeated 2,000 years ago? He is defeated. Listen to his name. His name is Beelzebub. Study it in Scripture. You know what that means? Lord of the flies. I'm scared of the Lord of the flies. This guy is a defeated foe. I just laugh at him. I've got to the place where there's so much stuff sometimes it comes at us. I just start laughing. Alicia will tell you, I'll just start laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And she'll like, why are you laughing? I said, because it's funny. That's funny. I'll hear something about myself I didn't even know, and I'll just start laughing. That is hilarious. Why? Because it's the devil trying to stop purpose. He's trying to stop us. But he is defeated in the name of Jesus. He is defeated in the name of Jesus. He is defeated in the name of Jesus. And the contrary winds, they may shake me, but they will not stop me. They will not stop me in the name of Jesus. Praise God. It's all in how we set ourselves. And let me ask you today, how do you handle the contrary wind? How do you interpret the contrary wind that hits your life? I want everybody to make this declaration with me. Say this, I am a son or daughter of thunder. Come on, I want to say it again. I am a son or daughter of thunder. I will not be moved. If anything, this storm will take me to my calling, and I'm using the energy of resistance. Come on, say it again. I'm using the energy of resistance to launch me forward. Come on, say it again, to launch me forward in Jesus' name. Do y'all believe that today? Come on. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.